This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. With me this week are two amazing people, Renee Rodriguez. Sup? And Paul Jaceley. Hello. Thank you both for joining me this week. I am so excited about today's topic. I could cry, but you know, before <laughs> we get into the coolest thing in the entire world, let's talk about comic books that we've been reading. How have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Paul. Uh, I've been good, and luckily so have all the comic books I've been reading recently. Uh, this past nice. week, I read Mr. Miracle number seven. I read Assassinistas number three. I read Eternity Girl number one and Dry nice. County number one. That's the new book from... Uh, Rich Tommaso from Image, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. probably the highlight for me this week, honestly, was Captain America number 699. Um, we are getting close to Chris Somney, the artist, leaving Marvel for greener pastures, maybe. I don't know where he's headed, but mm-hmm. this current Captain America run is him with Mark Wade on uh, writing duty and Matt Wilson on colors. I don't think I like this book as much as I like the other Mark Wade and Chris Samney joints, you know, Black Widow and uh, Daredevil. But yeah. Chris Samney's drawing, Captain America, I'm really going to miss. That guy is so good at comic books. <laughs> you know, I just saw your notes. Yeah. <laughs> Chris Samney is really good at comic books, period. <laughs> <laughs> he is. And this book is so, it looks so good. And Captain America is a character that you think of being very powerful and strong, but. You know, he draws him very dynamic, doing a lot of flips and aerial maneuvers, throwing that mighty shield. It's just a beautiful looking book. And this current storyline is about Captain America basically being kidnapped by a terrorist organization, put in suspended animation, and then waking up in the future where America's basically been destroyed due to an atomic war. And there's a uh, dictator ruling over the remaining, you know, whatever is left. So, of course, Captain America joins with some freedom fighters to fight for what's right and to overthrow this corrupt government. And this issue, I really enjoyed it because it showed Chris Somney able to do some some smashing. You know, since Captain mm-hmm. America runs into two of his old pals, yeah. the Hulk and the Thing, because oh, nice. the two people that survived the atomic war were, of course, the Hulk and the Thing. Right. So he, um, Captain America has to, to deal with them. And... There's a moment in this book that really reiterated for me how much I love Ben Grimm. He, the Thing, might be my favorite Marvel character, and really, I've never, yeah, I've never read a ton of Fantastic Four. I've read a handful of stuff, but something about the way the way he looks, the fact that I know Jack Kirby sort of put himself into the character a lot, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, uh, his background and you know the way he's drawn. And the way Chris Somney draws him, and there's a moment in this issue that's just so purely Ben Grimm. I think Mark Wade clearly loves that character, too. Mm-hmm. Once Ben Grimm realizes that he's been duped, you know, and he gets mad about it. And the way it's drawn, there's a close-up of his face. He's angry. And the Chris, I'm sorry, uh, Matt, Matt Wilson, you know, colors the eyes a really baby blue because it's the ever-loving blue-eyed thing. And it's oh, really yeah. kind of touched a nerve with me. I'm like, yeah, I really love this character a lot. And just it was a great moment in an issue that it was good overall. But that moment really stood out to me because I love that character so much. Oh man, that's great! See, this is this is this type of passion about a single comic book makes me want to go back and try this this whole arc of Captain America. Yeah, yeah I haven't read any cat books since Brubaker and Phillips were on it. Oh wow! Uh, or okay. Brubaker and uh, was it Michael uh, Lark? Not Michael Lark. Oh, oh, what's his name? Um, 
he did Velvet as well. Um, oh, Epting. I'm totally, yeah, Steve Epting. Epting. Steve Epting. Thank you. Yeah. Since Brubaker and Epting were on that book, and I, I have no, I've had no interest because creative teams and Captain America to me as a character kind of wasn't as interesting as I thought he was because I tried stuff after their run and wasn't into it. But that sounds enough like. Maybe I should try that. I mean, it's Mark Wade and Chris Samney. It's kind of hard to beat, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that creative team can pretty much do no wrong in my eyes. But yeah, yeah. it's clear that Mark Wade, Mark Wade loves that character a lot. And it's a kind of, you know, kind of almost too much, too much reverence for the character. But there are moments, <laughs> like I said, in each issue that really kind of click for me. Yeah, That's is, great, man. Is, yep. it, is it Steve Rogers cap? Yep. Just, yep. It's okay, because I know Sam Wilson was over, but then he was like back, but then like, Steve Rogers was back, and I'm so I'm just like I'm just confused about it all. There, there's at one a, point there was like three or four Captain Americas running around or something, something like that. <laughs> I, I think the first issue of their run, Mark Wade basically makes a point to kind of brush everything under the rug. It's like, oh yeah, that thing where like it turned out Steve Rogers is actually part of Hydra. Yeah, that never really happened. You know what I mean? Over it did happen. Oh, well, because no one's going to talk it about didn't. it. The way that the end of Secret Wars was was that someone created Hydra Cap using a cosmic uh. cube. Okay. So then, um, but then real cap existed because the person that used the cosmic cube was like, oh, I'm going to make him different. But because I remember how he was, he still exists. And it's oh. like one of those, one of those little loophole things. And, <laughs> the cosmic cube loophole. I like that. Yeah. So then, <laughs> yeah. so then good Steve Rogers and Sam Wilson fight it out against evil Steve Rogers. Okay. Oh, I you're see. talking about secret empire, secret empire. Yeah. Empire. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. There's like two secret wars. There's secret empire. You know what? They shouldn't. <laughs> secret this invasion. Is like, this is like yeah, DC yeah. with the crises. There's there's like nine of them, and I'm like, you know what? Just make all the names different, or stop doing this. <laughs> right. Those are your well, options. <laughs> anyways, anyways, Renee, let's let's get to you. How have you been? <laughs> How have comic books been? All that stuff. Actually, comics have been pretty good to me. Um, as always, they are one of the lights of my life, one of the things <laughs> I look forward to on a weekly basis. And actually, because I'm getting tired of this, I actually went out and read and bought some American comics. So, <laughs> <gasps> Wow. Yeah. No, Kate's, Kate's little, <gasps> let me guess, you read manga, really got to me. And I know she didn't mean anything bad by it, but you know what? It stung, and I was like, I'm a little <laughs> insulted. But uh, I read... Um, <laughs> I finally got through the Death of X trade paperback that I bought, which is the Death of Cyclops. Mm-hmm. So even though I knew what happened, it was still nice to just read it. And then I yeah, also yeah. read the first volume of the 2017 run of Generation X. Yes! And I'm so That's so exciting to me. Ladies and gents, kids and pets, it is as good as Mike Rappin says it is. So... <laughs> It is. It is. It's and you know it has a lot, a lot of throwbacks to the original Generation X um, run too. So I enjoyed that. But um, being the manga nerd that I am, I did also read some manga. And the my pick for this week is Black Clover, chapter one forty nine by Yuki Tabata. It's amazing. It's for anyone that doesn't know the the whole manga is sort of like uh, medieval knights with magic. So basically, it's Naruto cool. but knights. So cool. uh, <laughs> it gets a lot of comparisons with Naruto and our main character Asta doesn't have any magic, but then he gets chosen by uh, this spell book that lets him use anti-magic. So he's kind of a beast and it's awesome and it's great. And honestly, mm-hmm. uh, shit's about to get real because they're 
kingdom is being attacked and they're oh, oh my gosh a lot i can't even oh it was Don't game spoil the whole book for us. i know i can't i'm trying to but i'm not <laughs> but like things are changing there's been a lot of revelations a lot of we're only at we're not even at 150 chapters which i know nick said this he's like he's like that sounds like a lot of chapters and you're making it sound like it's not a lot and you know it is but it isn't but sure, like it's still sure. relatively young in the manga series and the fact that we're hitting these really big story arcs right now is very very tense and i would say that like, so renee let me ask good. you this about like when it comes to manga books you know do they do like special i guess chapters like for you know chapter 150 or chapter 200 are those usually like big momentous chapters in the book yeah yeah so okay most of the time around if they make it to those times so if they make it to like 10 chapters if they make it to 15 25 50 100 150 generally through the book they will get if since they've hit so many chapters they'll get color pages in the magazine Okay. Because if you guys remember, most manga are in black and white because it saves on printing, which is how they can sell them so cheap. Right, right. But uh, they get certain issues, certain books will get color pages because it's a big event for them, it's a big arc, or they've hit a certain chapter. So because they get color pages, they want to try and do something big so that the readers get sucked into it and vote for it so that it maintains its popularity and so it can keep gotcha. running. Very cool. Hmm. So what you're saying is everyone should check out Black Clover because it's super cool nights with magic powers. Yes, and the art is fantastic. It's both badass and funny and it's a good time. It's a roar of a good time. It's one of the it's one of my favorite new Shonen series that I've just been able to pick up and it moves really fast as well. So that's awesome. That's super cool. It's not a lot of a lot of people like they read Death Note or they read Bleach or Naruto and there's a lot of heavy words. Black Clover is really simple and just kind of hits with the action. So it's a really good read. Cool. I'll put that on my list, man. Well, for me this week, well, I guess what I read recently, um, things have been pretty, pretty good. Been, you know, I went out a little bit partying in the Upper East Side last night because I'm cool like that. And uh, <laughs> no, it was I was worried that it was going to take forever to get up there. So I, but I ended up going, had a good time. I wore some green beads because I un, unintentionally <laughs> wore nothing but red last night, and it was St. Patrick's Day. So um, yeah, it was a whole thing. But anyways, uh, I did talk about comic books for a long time with people. But anyways, I also read a bunch of comic books this last week. I don't know if you follow me on Twitter, but the other night I was just nonstop tweeting about all the books that I was reading, so it was a really good time. Um, I read <laughs> Gideon Falls number one. Uh, I read Supergirl number 19, which is a fantastic little one-off <laughs> issue. I've never read any Supergirl before, and I really loved it. I just got to say that you should all check it out. It's a cool book that really gets to the the, the, uh, the basic understanding about how superheroes and humans can coexist, especially in like this DC mythos, there's just a moment near the end of that book that is so good and it answers the major question of like, how do superheroes and regular humans somehow survive together for a future world? And like, they nailed it on the head. So I'm, I was very happy that I picked that issue up. Um, huh. Yeah. I also read Astonishing X-Men number eight. Uh, I read Eternity Girl number one as well, Paul. So like thumbs up to that book because okay. it was really cool it was very good it's very um good. but the book that i do want to talk about this week that i loved and it was a total like out of left field book that i'd never heard of outside of i believe emily pearson who was on our show with um 
a couple weeks back at an interview, she had mentioned this book that it was coming out through uh, Black Mask. And so I picked it up on a whim because I heard of the artist Peter Kowalski. I'd seen his work before in another book called Sex. And so this book is it's coming to me, number one. Um, it's by Lonnie Nadler and Zach Thompson with art by Peter Kowalski, Nico Guardia, and Ryan Ferrier. I believe Ryan Ferrier is on letters. Um, like I said, from, from Black Mask Studio. The premise is, what if there was a technology that allowed you to put your mind in someone else's body and vice versa? Like, Renee mm. and I could sit down at this weird computer contraption in a weird, what looks like an umbilical cord-esque thing, would stab into the back of our heads, and Renee's personality and mind and consciousness would be inside my body, they would unplug us, and then we'd walk around for like an hour. And he would see and experience everything the same way that I do, and we could like converse with each other in our mind. We would be unstoppable. I know, yeah. We would be un-fucking-stoppable. I'm dead serious. This book, the pacing of it is really, really good to the point where I was like, all right, cool, we're finally getting into like whatever's going to be the hook of issue one. And we never get there because the book ends. And it in such a good way, like you think the pa- like the pacing that you expect from this type of book versus the pacing that you get is so monumentally different that by the end of the book you're kind of like no 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 you go back you're like there's no way that was the last page like this is one of those books that you're like hold on did I miss something how is that the end and like now I'm very very anxious for the next issue like I'm very excited Kowalski's art in this book is just as fantastic as I remember um I read like I said his book sex that he did with Joe Casey which is a whole like commentary book about superheroes and working in a world that's kind of like a metropolis-esque city a lot of really cool stuff that goes on it's very graphic and very like edgy I guess in a lot of ways Um, but his art was fantastic in that book and he also did a series Marvel Knights Hulk over at Marvel and the guy's art is it's it's really well done he loves doing big huge humongous cityscapes and very detailed rooms that have a lot of things on the walls and on the floor and and all over um, his people kind of look the same. Like, he has a very, like, samey style. So, like, his faces for men all kind of look the same. Or there's, like, a handful that he kind of, like, swaps between. Not like he uses a template or anything, but just the way that he draws. It's kind of like Sean Phillips where he's kind of... All of his main characters kind of have the same face. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that that makes the book bad by any means. It's just something that I noticed picking up this issue. Um, but on the whole, this book was fucking phenomenal i mean just one of those things that like black mask is publishing books that kind of slap you in the head with how good they are mm-hmm. and i'm really excited to see where this book goes yeah i flipped through it at the shop i didn't buy it but now i think you gave me the hard sell to go back and pick up a copy i honestly think it's worth a try it's it's such a weird cool concept and it's yeah it's the, the way the artwork was done and now knowing the concept it's such like a david cronenberg-esque body horror type scenario yeah i can probably get into that sounds very oh yeah appealing. Yeah, I, I think that's a great way to describe it. Cool. So, yeah, anyways, but let's talk about the things that are coming out this upcoming week. Comic books are coming out on March 21st, 2018. What are you guys excited for this week? Let's start with Paul. I am excited for Cave Carson has an interstellar eye, number one, um, obviously. Whoa, what? <laughs> so, um, following the epic Milk Wars that happened in the Young Animals book, uh, Young Animals DC crossover books, Mm -hmm. uh, they basically did like a soft reboot of all the Young Animal titles. So that's why we got Attorney Girl number one is a new series from Young Animal. Uh, They just relaunched 
uh, Shade the Changing Girl as Shade the Changing Woman. And then now we're getting the new version of Cave Carson. Instead of a cybernetic eye, he has an interstellar eye. What does that even mean? <laughs> I'm going to I'll just have to read and find out. I mean, Cave Carson yeah, yeah. Cave Carson as a cybernetic eye was like a big surprise for me. I know I've raved about it on the show a bunch. I really loved that book a lot. And it's the same writing team. You have John Rivera writing, Michael Oming on art. And basically, I think the difference here is that the previous volume of Cave Carson ended with them sort of doing this the journey through the multiverse, different variations of uh, different worlds of the DC multiverse. And this version, Cave Carson and his daughter go spelunking into a black hole, which opens up a whole other world of possibilities. What? (laughs) And also, on top of that, according to the synopsis on the DC website, Cave Carson not only has a cybernetic eye, he has a podcast now too. So... (laughs) I just I love this okay. book. I love how weird it is. And Michael Oming's art is just so mind-bending at times. It's it's just a really fantastic book, and I can't wait to have it back in a little bit different now that it's uh, interstellar, apparently. That's so cool. Uh, <laughs> I, I got I to read all this book. I need to catch up yeah. and read this Milk Wars thing. I've been telling myself it's like a thing that I really want to do. Maybe once it's all out, maybe collected or something, I'll just like sit down in a weekend and read it all yeah um, give yourself some that time. sounds so exciting yeah it, yeah, it was, yeah it yeah. was really good i wish it's definitely a book that you need to take some time to really think about and absorb it's super meta but it's a lot of fun so you'll enjoy it that's awesome renee what are you excited for this week paul lost me at milk wars and i'm just trying to <laughs> wrap my head around everything i didn't understand a single word of what paul just said <laughs> <laughs> There's a whole thing, Renee. Look up the look up the young animal milk wars. It's, said, it's a whole thing. Are they Play actually your friend animals? Gerard Way. <laughs> young animals young milk animals? wars. Yeah. <laughs> are they actually is it like tiny deer running around or something? I, I'll look into it. But yeah, okay. Oh man, what the hell? Uh, I, I guess I, the only thing I'm really excited for because again, this happens all the time. All the books that I'm excited for don't come out for months. So then I'm like, oh, I got to pick something that's out next week and so i kind of but i am excited for the next chapter of black clover which is chapter 150 so probably going to get some color pages going to get some awesome art and uh stuff's going down in the clover kingdom um that's why it's called black clover the kingdom they're from is called the clover kingdom and all okay. their all their spell books have um clovers on them that have and based on the number of uh petals on the clover that's how strong it is. So, like, uh, if you have a four-leaf clover, that's like, whoa. And I think uh, the main character has a five-leaf clover. Either way, Black Clover by Yuki Tabata, chapter 150. It's coming for you. It's coming for us, our faces. We are not ready. But that's what I'm excited for. What are you awesome. excited for, Mike? For me, uh, Deathbed Number 2 is a Vertigo book. It's a six-issue miniseries by Joshua Williamson, Riley Rosmo, with with colors by Ivan Placencia. And this is the craziest, weirdest book that I've picked up in a while. I picked it up strictly because Riley Rosmo is on art. I'm that kind of person at this point <laughs> where I'm just willing to dive into a book strictly because there's an artist on it that I want to see more of. And in, in all honesty, if Riley Rosmo is working on it and it's kind of like a creator-owned-esque book because it's coming from Vertigo... It's it's probably cool, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the story is there. I, I, it's really hard to describe because it's it's like a big mystery. But imagine there was a you know this 
novelistic treasure hunting Indiana Jones kind of character that no one had ever heard of, but he's the richest person in the world. And he asks this this woman to come interview him and basically tell his life story. So she shows up at his giant mansion. This is an issue one. And it turns out that ghosts and mummies and all sorts of invisible evil creatures are trying to kill him but he used this whole thing as a ploy to essentially draw them all out so that he can kill them all hmm. his whole thing is i want to kill all the evil in this world or all these evil monsters that are trying to get revenge on me for stealing all their stuff out of their tombs and various caves and things like that over the last maybe 100 200 years oh also this guy may be immortal there's so many questions <laughs> coming out of this book that i have to read number two and I grabbed this on a whim. I didn't even realize it was coming out. I had never heard of it until the week that it came out. And I saw that it was on like the Comixology new releases list. And so I grabbed it. I'm obviously sucked in. This is Joshua Williamson, who's not a bad writer by any means. You may have seen his work on The Flash. You may have seen his work in his major book that he did called Nailbiter. Or another book that he did called Birthright, or is still doing, I think. The guy's been all over the place. And he's doing a lot of really cool stuff over at DC. And seeing that this is like a DC-esque creator-owned book, um, I figured I'd give it a try, especially with Riley Rossmo mm -hmm. on art. So that's what I'm excited for this week. And man, oh man, I'm really, really ready to get more of Riley Rossmo's art. <laughs> <laughs> this week's topic is the best thing in the Marvel Universe. <laughs> in all of comic books, as far as I'm concerned, we're talking about X-Men. The, the prompt for this episode was essentially, rank the X-Men from, quote, best to, quote, Cyclops, <laughs> which I think is is problematic in some in a couple of different ways but um best best to worst rank rank the x-men from best to worst um we put out a post on the goodreads group um we got a couple people to respond to that which is i'm excited about because i love the x-men to death like if if you don't know at this point i'm a big x-men fan and gambit is my favorite x-men um and so you know my whole thing is it's it's a it's it's a problem. It's a thing that I'm constantly comparing everything to. When someone says, "Oh, there's a group of people and they're doing this thing," I'm like, "Oh, so it's X Men, but this." <laughs> um, that's how I read a lot of things. Sure. Uh, like I I could always call My Hero Academia. It's like the anime X Men because it's that's how I see it. You Except know? that it's um, not because they're not oppressed whatsoever. Listen, <laughs> Renee. Potato, tomato. Okay, that's all that I'm saying. <laughs> Anyways, so we're talking about like. The, our favorite, least favorite, whatever. We're talking about the X-Men this week. So I guess before I go into a big, huge rant, Paul, <laughs> Renee, what is your background with X-Men, if at all? Um, you, you mean the shitty Doom Patrol? Because that's what I think about the X-Men. So. <laughs> oh! <laughs> no, Gauntlet. I kid. I kid. Um, the similarities between the X-Men and the Doom Patrol, there are many, and it's not, this isn't the place to talk about it. But um, I'm a pretty casual X-Men fan. I never really was too into the comics, despite, you know, the early 90s being sort of my peak comic book collecting time frame as a teenager. Sure. Um, I remember reading the, maybe like the first 12 issues or so of the Generation X, that series. I read uh, the whole Age of Apocalypse, which made no sense to me since I never read any other X-Men comics. Um, Same. And I've read a lot of <laughs> X-Men comics. Um, I got caught up in those chromium covers. They were so cool. You know, I could not buy those comics. <laughs> so a lot of yeah. my knowledge of the X-Men comes from the cartoon that was popular in the 90s. Although 
I never, I don't have the nostalgia for it that a lot of people have because it was kind of corny, if I remember correctly. Um, oh, totally. Uh, <laughs> um, and I've, I've seen all the movies. So, you know, that's my connection with the X-Men. I read the Grant Morrison run, obviously. But so when thinking about my favorite characters, there's not really a single character that I really connected with outside of Kitty Pride for some reason, because due to Mike's recommendations, I've read Days of Future Past and God Loves, Man Kills, the classic Cliss Claremont X-Men stories. And Kitty Pride is like the the character that you're supposed to identify with. Like she's the new person on the group. She's the, your insight into the dynamics. And I see a mm-hmm. lot of people in the Goodreads group have picked her as their favorite too. So, I mean, I think that character dynamic she has gave me an inroad into understanding why the heck people love these weird fucked up X-Men characters so much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, Kitty, Kitty Pride's the best because she is the... She's not just the every character, but she is the best character in a lot of ways. Like she's <laughs> yeah. incredibly smart. She's a great leader. She's a great follower when she needs to be. She's, you know, very, very smart. She's also very like empathetic with other people. Like, honestly, she's she is by far one of the best X-Men characters that have ever been created, and I think will ever be, you know, that exists in the X-Men universe because for that reason alone. And I don't think that that makes her like overpowered, like you know, like a Superman or like anything like that. I just think the range that this character has to fit a lot of different roles and still be a really good character in that role is is very hard to find. I, so I, I totally understand where you're coming from with that. But she's still not Gambit, so like whatever, you know? <laughs> <laughs> At least her power... I, I like Kitty Pride's powers, too. I mean, when you're talking about a cool character, I think that has to be something that you, you take into consideration, the usefulness of the power, the uniqueness of the power. And Kitty mm-hmm. Pride's power, like, seems... It's a simple power, but it's so like visually dynamic. Like those scenes of her like phasing through a wall when you just sort of see her coming through. Like that's a very like striking image, you know. So I really like that. And so many X Men characters, especially since I was reading the early '90s, their power was just generically like energy blasts, you know, like Gambit. So her power (laughs) really stood stood out to me in that sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, well, the the thing with the thing with nine, the nineties and stuff is like everything was blasters and ray beams and all that stuff. Yeah, and you you they created some really cool characters. You know, like bit characters like Bishop became really big because like his whole thing was like ex, like he consumed energy and then he was able to like shoot it back out and he had a cool gun and the gun was huge <laughs> and the gun had pipes and like he also had pipes in his hair but it turns out it was dreads and like pipes and laser beams and explosion like that was that's great stuff. Pouches, I mean Gambit's pouches different. and pouches and pouches everywhere. Oh, pouches, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, the, my whole thing with Gambit is, you know, like, I, I love his look. He's got this very unique, identifiable look. It, like, we were walking, I remember we were walking through Emerald City Comic Con when we were there. And all I saw was, like, on the corner of my eye was this younger kid. He's maybe a teenager or whatever. He had just, like, the Gambit, like, neck thing that went up around his head. And you just saw, like, the ball of hair on top of his head. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, look, a Gambit. And, like, there was no other indication that that was him. And, of course, he turned around and he's got the pink jacket and, or the pink, like, chest piece and, like, the jacket on and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's such an iconic look. And I, I really love just, like, how unique it is in comparison to a lot of the other X-Men. When everyone else is wearing spandex and bright yellow and all this stuff he's still just wearing that like that's his go-to outfit and it's never changed (laughs) i've always appreciated that and he's always carrying around things that he can just throw so you gotta imagine he's wearing a big jacket if only to just fill it with toothpicks and cards and (laughs) things that he could charge up to throw at people um and i mean as a kid i always loved that because 
you know, it seemed like it was such a cool utility, and it was like, you, whenever he was throwing cards, it was always the Ace of Spades, so you know he's just got a pocket full of Ace of Spades. Because he's cheating, probably. He's probably always cheating when he's gambling. <laughs> right. Well, and he's like, he's like a good, he's like a fun anti-hero, right? Like, he's, he breaks the law, but he's also a good guy. Like, he's trying to do the right thing, but he's also a thief, so like, he steals things. But he's also like a nice person sometimes, and his life is full of drama. Like he is the is the pivotal X Men character for me because he's like suave. He gets his way. He kind of bends the rules. He's an outsider, but he like everyone loves him. But they're like, oh, Gambit, you better not. He's like, mon ami. There it is. Yeah, I was waiting for you to do your, your Gambit impression. Wonderful. You know. He- he, you know, he he's just one of those characters that just he he doesn't fall into like rank and file in a lot of places, which is why he's rarely used. <laughs> but when he is in a comic book, I feel like there's always some sort of extra level drama with his past or with the thieves guild or the <laughs> assassins guild or they've got to go to Louisiana for some stupid <laughs> fucking reason, you know. And his 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 character is so simple, but like it's it's a really good, fun, predictable thing that you get with him, and. I mean, and I've read pretty much every comic book that has featured him in one way, shape, or form, and it's always the same, and it's always great. Like, even now, when he's in this fucking Charles Soule Astonishing X-Men, the whole po- the whole plot that he has is, Rogue, remember when we were something? And she's like, <laughs> not right now, honey, the world's about to fucking end. <laughs> And I love it. It's like he, he's such a like almost a one dimensional character to the point that it's like I, I I really enjoy it. That that's my whole thing with him. Well, All right, now what? we're done wait, talking. Wait, no, Thanks no, for listening wait. to I read comic books. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyways, go ahead, Renee. Wasn't Gambit also one of uh, the Horsemen of Apocalypse? Wasn't he like Famine or something? Oh no, he was Death. Oh, he, he got turned death. into the God of Death. Yeah. Or the Rider Death, the I guess, or whatever you want to call that. But he also he had armor because I remember I have an action figure of Gambit as Death, and he's wearing armor instead of his classic Gambit outfit. Oh yeah, well his hair was also white and long and spindly. I mean that was a really cool look. <laughs> the story arc where that happens is really dumb, but that like look was really cool. And I mean some writers use that to like they bring it back to haunt him. Like oh remember when you were a horseman of the apocalypse? So him and Warren. Um, Worthington, you know, Angel, they have a lot in common now because they both were the Angel of Death yeah. at one point. Didn't they bring that back in X-Force not that long ago where, like, Gambit yes. could still tap into that power when they were choosing the new Apocalypse or whatever? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's all, I mean, X-Men is, there's all over the place, like, with stuff like that. And that's, it is, the, it's the best soap opera, like, ever. It is my favorite thing <laughs> in the world for that reason. Hmm. I mean, but like, you know, other people in the group, you know, everyone, a couple people pointed out Kitty Pride, <laughs> um, but a handful of people like Brian, um, who's on the show, he also said, you know, Nightcrawler is one of the coolest characters, and I totally agree with him. You know, um, cool character design, he's one of the few X-Men to get their own sound effect, which is Bamf, Bamf. the classic Bamf. Um, and he is the go-to example of teleporting, like a teleporting <laughs> hero. And I think that they, I think during... It was like a Chuck Austin's Uncanny X-Men run. It turns out that like Nightcrawler isn't just teleporting from place to place. He's teleporting to like a hell dimension. It's and his, then it's his father's to, dimension. Yeah, to Mephisto's... Azazel. I think it's Azazel, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, he's Get teleporting right, to Azazel's Mike. dimension. Oh my God. Yeah, I know. Yeah. This is X-Men. <laughs> and then he Where are your credentials, to... bro? There's so much X-Men in my brain, Renee. <laughs> I, it just takes a second, okay? Not to mention Nightcrawler is a very skilled fencer. And an ordained <laughs> Catholic priest. Yes. Oh, Nightcrawler for a long time was like he—he he was one of my go-to characters. I'd read anything with him in it as well. I mean, 
at this point, I'll read any X-Men book that's, <laughs> that's coming out. But um, when I was choosy, <laughs> Nightcrawler was one of those characters that would draw me to any book. And his, his him as a character is it's very unique because he's he's torn in a, a bunch of different directions <laughs> based around his faith, based around his, his past relationships, based around, like, the haunted past that he's had as a child. Like, some very complex stuff. I, I feel like the thing that draws me to X-Men a lot... This is not that these characters are inherently good or bad or they're cool or whatever. It's that there's so much complexity within each of those characters. Like, they've all got some sob story that makes you relate to them in some way. <laughs> um, I need to stop talking. Renee, <laughs> what is your history with the X-Men? Yeah. Well, actually, uh, Nightcrawler is my favorite X-Men. So uh, okay. I, will, okay. I will probably fight you about all things um, Nightcrawler because he, he's also not american so he's a member of excalibur as well oh yeah but my uh i guess my relationship with x-men they've always x-men's always been present in my life uh i've got four older brothers and they were all into comics and stuff and into the shows and things like that so i just kind of always remember it being around like we had marvel metal cards there was the 90s show we had a VHS of like an older show where it's like X Men, X Men is today, and it's all that. And it <laughs> what? Yeah, <Wow>. Wolverine's <laughs> play, got like an Australian accent. And he's yelling about how Kitty Pride can't join the X. He's like, ah, she's just a kid, and it's weird. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, and like uh, like they have to fight Magneto in space, and Nightcrawler ends up running into the Blob, and the Blob's like, no one can stop the Blob, and he's like, and I wouldn't dream of trying. He sounds like he's Transylvanian for some reason instead of German, <laughs> and wow. he's but he's like trying to hit on Kitty Pride like the entire time because obviously he's not a priest yet, but whatever. Sure, <laughs> <laughs> it was really weird, but like it was there, and you know, so we always had these. Um, my brother would pick up Wizard comic or Wizard magazine. <laughs> And we'd have random comics and stuff like that. So I did read The Age of Apocalypse and I fell in love with uh, Nate Gray, the X-Man, you know, and him falling through Ugh. all the dimensions <laughs> and getting to fight Spider-Man, which I still think is one of my favorite comics that I've ever seen. It was just really pretty. I don't even I, I've tried looking for it. I can't find it. It's impossible. But, so, listeners out there, if you know what issue Renee is talking about, please let us know. Yeah. Send us a tweet or an email or something. It might have even just been like an article or something I saw in Wizard and someone had just done a cool drawing. But if you know what I'm talking about, hit me up. But um, Gotcha. So, X-Men was always really just prevalent. And uh, I also take offense to Paul saying that the <laughs> 90s cartoon was corny because <laughs> I'm pretty sure that Hank McCoy recites Shakespeare in one of those episodes and references it to mutant kind. So suck it, <laughs> Mr. Jackson. So Renee, are you trying to argue that it isn't corny with that? Is that <laughs> right? I don't think that's Look, a good selling point. What? That is amazing. That's such a good point. If you were to see that in one of the movies, you would be tears and you'd be like, that's right. If you prick them, they do bleed. <laughs> Okay, okay. 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 Because that's the whole so, point of the of the X Men is that you know they're people too, and you know, and yeah. I think minorities and people that are that are you know are just kind of run down, you know, who are just they feel out the outcast. It's what's <laughs> who it's for, you know. And I think that there's a lot of relation to that. And if you think it's corny, maybe you should check <laughs> what pedestal you're at there. Oh come oh, on, okay, okay. Yeah, I'm going there. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, no, 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 I. But like uh, no, I it, you're right. It is corny. 
And there, there's some Corey stuff. Like, I mean, Wolverine fights Morph as a panther at one point in the show. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, sure. there's all kinds of weird stuff. But, you know, um, yeah, I don't know. X-Men's always been there for me, and I, I've always tried to keep up with it because there's a lot of the stories that I really like, and I try to jump back in. But, again, there's so much X-Men out there. It's impossible to, you know, pick and choose what you want to hold on to. I, right. I think that's always been my thing is, you know, the the characters are really appealing and the, the dynamic of the team is really interesting. I like the idea that it kind of is this long running soap opera, soap opera. And, you know, reading Ed Pisker's, you know, um, was it Grand Design book that he's doing right now where he's kind of... Yeah, X-Men Grand Design. Where he's basically tying the entire history of the X-Men into one sort of long chronological narrative. It's fascinating to see just how the X-Men start with Stan and Jack and they turn into this huge multimedia conglomerate basically and how mm-hmm. writers like Chris Claremont went back and really changed the history and gave it more fleshed it out gave it more nuance more depth so it's a really fascinating thing but as a new reader it's really daunting to kind of jump into all absolutely that, so. see and this is why I really appreciate X-Men Grand Design though because at the end of the day when the book is finished right when all six issues are out <laughs> what you'll be able to do is give someone a really nice sit down and say here read this and you'll be caught up. Yeah. Be- and, and you can jump into whatever comes next. Like, I, I'm certain that that's what Marvel's plan is to say, you just read X-Men Grand Design. Now read X-Men Blue and Gold minus the Red Rainbow number one. <laughs> Battle of the Future Atoms. Don't worry about it. We're bringing back all your favorites. No one's dead anymore. Yeah. Number one. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> that's like, what it's going to be. Like X-Men, <laughs> that's what it's going to be titled. X-Men is like Pokemon now. It's like, you know, Maroon Red or like whatever the greens are i don't know x-men sunset orange thank you Number yeah one. yeah you came up with a better pokemon joke than i could thank you <laughs> i was like i just I mean, realized that i stopped caring about pokemon after golden summer <laughs> <laughs> yeah. see i mean and, and that's the thing like x-men is, it's this big wild mess of a jungle <laughs> that um you know it's very hard to traverse and i appreciate that marvel i those are hard words to say um i i I appreciate that Marvel is kind of trying to, like, say, hey, maybe there's some starting points. And I think they did a good job with X-Men Blue and Gold. (laughs) Um, I think that Gold still has consistently been, like, the good classic. If you liked Uncanny X-Men, you should just read X-Men Gold (laughs) um, kind of book. And all the other books have kind of just been, like, extra ones. Like, And Marvel's always done that, you know. There's always been the the core X-Men book, which is Uncanny X-Men. And then there's the peripheral X-Men books. It's where you get your one-off character books like your nightcrawler your your more recently Jean gray iceman your gambit your wolverine book your deadpool book and I, that's arguable that deadpool is considered a mutant i understand that there's a whole thing but as far as i'm concerned he kind of is in the venn diagram of ind- individual heroes that kind of run in with the x-men a lot mm-hmm. um well i think you could just let so, go you know, he was on the x-men and he was on the x-force he might as well he's a mutant Okay. Yeah, I mean, I I always considered Deadpool to be an X Men character that kind of became super popular, like Wolverine did. You know, like Wolverine was is is an independent character that kind of also happens to deal with the X Men a lot, and he does it less so than he used to. But um, it's because he's now Old Man Logan. It's a whole other thing, right? <laughs> so there, I mean, there's there's a lot to it, but I I think that I don't think it's impossible to just kind of jump in. Um, and it, like it really depends on book to book, you know how heavy with the history they're going to be. Yeah. But 
honestly, X-Men Gold is probably the book that's trying to lean on that the least. Um, even even 26 issues later, I think that they're still doing a good job of keeping it fresh, and everything you need to know has been covered in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, even if it is like a rehashing of history, they do do a really good job. Like Mark Guggenheim, credit to him, um, he's kind of been like hit or miss with me over the last five or six years, but I think he's done a solid job of making sure that people are super informed in the book that they're reading. And like even this whole romantic thing that's going on with Kitty Pride and... Um, uh, Colossus right now mm-hmm. you know that's an old flame that's a thing that's been going on for 20 years now yeah. and to get people up to speed on that like he did a super real, super good job of saying like oh we were dating and then we stopped dating and then you died <laughs> and then you came back to life and we were dating again and then I went to space because I was mad about some things that you had done and then I kind of married Peter Quill and I came back to earth and now we're seeing each other again <laughs> like that is a fucked up crazy weird timeline to track yeah but <laughs> I think Guggenheim has done a good job of summing it all up in this book to say, we've had a rough history. <laughs> Maybe we could try this again. <laughs> That's well, pretty much what he's done. Because, like, you know, um, Colossus and, and Shadowcat, they're they're one of those couples that, like, you know, there's so many great moments. Like, there's that one where Colossus was, like, captured by, I think he was captured by a vampire or something like that. And mm-hmm. he's being tortured. And he thinks that he's died because Kitty's come to rescue him. And he thinks that she's still dead. And hmm. so he assumes that he's died and that he's actually seeing her in heaven so he's just super thankful that he's finally dead and can also see her again yeah yeah, i mean if that doesn't move you in some way you're a robot and i don't (laughs) want to be friends with you Yeah. I mean, some people called out Colossus as like a character that I really like, and I can understand that too. I think, you know, there's a lot of core X-Men that have these really long histories that have been, that are full of moments like that. Very serious, dramatic moments. I mean, Storm's another character that's got the, she's got one of the craziest pasts as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) You know, like she grew up on the streets of um, Cairo in Egypt, and she was a pickpocket, and then she met the Shadow King, and Professor Xavier saved her, and it turns out she also was a mutant that had these that ends up with these crazy storm powers but Xavier doesn't actually find her until much later when she's a goddess in Africa like saving people with you know bringing rain and stuff <laughs> um, it's such a funny thing like you know all these characters like it's it's one of those fun fictional moments where you're like oh everything tied back around tied back around um, in weird ways but uh yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like, and Storm's one of those characters. Rogue's one of those characters. Like, I was a bad guy, now I'm a good guy. And, oh, my adoptive mother had this whole thing. It turns out she's the she's Mystique, and she's the worst villain ever. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah, and her, her stepbrother is a, a blue demon that believes in God. Yeah, yeah. It's it's wild, man. It's I, it's so good. I, I, I And this is why, like, I get sucked in, you know. Um, but let's actually talk about the thing that's it's the biggest elephant in the room. Um, it's a ruby red sapphire elephant. Uh, his name is Cyclops. And the dude gets a bad rap because a lot of people think he's the worst character ever. Um, I have some thoughts about this. But, Renee, I'll let you start because I know that you ha- you didn't you don't think that Cyclops is a bad character. You actually like Cyclops, is that what I'm getting? Um it's not so much as like, but I respect <laughs> Oh no, but you know, but you don't hate him, so therefore no, you like him, no, right? No, I don't hate him. I don't <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm Here's kidding. I'm kidding. Here's the thing is like back in like the 90s cartoon because Cyclops disagreed with Wolverine all the time, you're like, "Uh, screw him. He's bleh. <laughs> and then he was played yeah, by Wolverine's the coolest. Yeah. And he's played by James Marsden in uh the X-Men movie, and you're like, James Marsden sucks. Which <laughs> which I don't think that. I actually think James Marsden's a pretty cool um, actor. But, like, <laughs> I don't know. 
there was like a lot of bad blood with Cyclops, and then I started reading more and more stuff, and because I always thought just Cyclops just kind of stood there with his finger on his visor, just blasting away and doing nothing. Mm-hmm. And then I read more comics where it's like, oh, he's a tactician, he does all these things, and then you know you learn about the fact that he basically was kind of forced into this leadership role, not even because he's the oldest, but he's the oldest of his family, and so he like kind of is in that mode of. And his family's stuff is all messed up. So he kind of <laughs> has to be in that sort of, things need to be controlled, we need to sort of do this. And then he's taken under the wing of Xavier, who basically becomes like a surrogate dad to him. And, you know, he believes so hard in everything that he's taught, and he basically tries to be the best man that he can. And sure. then the situation keeps changing on him, and he it's so hard to be that. And he tries. He really tries. And it gets to the point, though, where I'm just like, I really appreciate his effort. And then when it gets to everything past M-Day, like, and ever, that's kind of the point where everyone's like, Cyclops has become a dick after <laughs> M-Day. He's, oh, yeah. He starts hiding stuff from people. He's more ruthless. And I'm like, he has to be. The mutant population went from millions to 300. And then in the span of two, of two years, it was like they were down to like 150 or something like that. And mm-hmm. it's like, it's it's for their survival. You know, it's not like, oh, no one's going to touch us because we're endangered animals. It's like, no, people wanted to kill us when we were millions. Now they can do it in a night. <laughs> and it became a thing yeah. about necessity. And it's like, you can't understand the decisions someone has to make unless you're in that same thing. And I think that the way that he goes about it, goes about it is the best that he can do, especially with everything that goes on in the marvel universe oh man i'm hearing cyclops is right is that what i'm hearing right now (laughs) you know it's it's not it's just more of he's not wrong there's more to the story (laughs) there is there's more than two sides you know there's 10 sides there's 50 sides to the story and it's just like in black panther when king t'chaka tells t'challa you're a good man but it's hard for a good man to be a king (laughs) it's hard for a good man to be in the uh a position where he has to compromise his beliefs for the good of his people. Right. And you know what? That's hard for anyone and everyone is fallible. And, you know, I think, I, I think Cyclops gets a bad rap and, you know, also he, he has to have stuff on his face all the time as well. So give the man a break. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. That's the reason why we should lay You had to wear sunglasses every day of your life. (laughs) All the time, and then change to like special goggles so that you can't like roll over and have them come off. Otherwise, you're gonna yeah. blast through the walls. Like, come on! <laughs> Some people get stressed hey. just thinking they have to be up at seven o'clock the next day. <laughs> See, my whole my whole thing with Cyclops is that like there was this Greg Rucka book that was written, right? Greg Rucka wrote it with a couple different artists, and it basically was about young Cyclops. You know, they they, they did that whole thing where Brian Michael Bendis. Um, wrote a story where the X-Men from the 60s get transported into modern day, and that was the original, like, 
uh, all new X-Men book that came out that was alongside Uncanny X-Men during this whole thing. They did this whole thing called the Battle of the Atom, where where time travel was a whole thing, which immediately goes, oh, fuck, it's goddamn comic book, isn't it? <laughs> and you're like, yes, it is. Um, but there was a story that happened after that, right? After all these books kind of like tied up and they like ended and stuff, um, where Cyclops goes off into space to see his dad. So, like, the thing that you, if you don't know about this, this about Cyclops, is that his dad is the captain of a ship called the Starjammer. And um, he, 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 this man, his, uh, his name is Corsair, or at least he goes by Corsair, um, but he's the father of Havoc and Cyclops. Um, and he, is in, he basically, like, leaves Scott in, and his brother on Earth and goes to space, and he's, like, a total shitty dad because he knew that Cyclops was being taken care of by Professor X, or at least that's how the story goes. But when Corsair finds out that there's a young Cyclops, like, a young Scott Summers in the modern day, he comes back to Earth and is like, hey, man do you want to like spend time together? Like we aren't going to be able to in the future. Like as you grow up, when you go back to your time, we're not going to see each other. Do you want to hang out? And Cyclops is like, sure. So he goes to space with his dad and there's this whole thing. Like it is, it is one of the most like emotional books I've ever read about like this character. Who's just trying to spend time with his father, who he finds out is dying to figure out who he is in the world. Like he's not sure if he wants to be a leader, like the 16 year old kid who was put in this place of like, you have to lead this team because professor Xavier said so who, by the way, Renee, going back to your point about leaders have to compromise their beliefs in order to benefit their people, somehow Professor Xavier didn't do that, and he's considered like this great messiah character, whereas Cyclops is put in this position of, like, you have to make decisions and you have to compromise your beliefs in order to lead. How did, how did Cyclops get dealt that hand? That's I'm wondering that question. He but, can't control um, people's <laughs> minds. <laughs> yeah, this is true. You're totally right. He can so, just shoot the lasers is, from his eyes. That's it. That's all you got. Right. I mean, the thing that I'm getting at is that, you know, I read that book and it kind of made me empathize with this character who didn't want to be in this position but had to because he knew that there was this sense of responsibility that no one else is going to take up except for him. Um, and so by the end of the book, you see this character kind of grow and evolve and make the choice, yes, maybe I should. And he comes back to Earth and he's a little bit depressed because of one thing or another because he's a teenager and that's how teenagers are. But... um <laughs> You know, seeing these this book with the young young Cyclops kind of changed my mind on him because I thought for the longest time it's like Scott, you're such a dummy, and he totally is. Like if you read Astonishing X Men, if you read Grant Morrison's New X Men, if you read stuff that happened in the like '90s, early '90s, late '90s, like he's kind of a dummy. He's kind of he gives he ends up fitting the position in this in this team as like someone who always has to abide by the rules and it's always like oh, you're not supposed to go out after curfew you know he's that person um and so he gets a bad rap for that and i think like uh, i don't think that that necessarily means that you should like him but um <laughs> that's the thing that that's how i see it the more the more x-men comic books i read the more i kind of understand that character and that he has to be in that position people are constantly con like trying to compare themselves to him because he was the first like x-men team leader so when all you know when other people are in charge of teams they're always like, well, what would Scott do? You know, they're always asking themselves, what would the goody two shoes do? And maybe they do it, maybe they don't, but they are always comparing themselves to him. And then don't forget, with his past, Charles Xavier also erased an entire brother. Oh yeah, <laughs> that also happened. Yeah, That's Gabriel, X Men Deadly Genesis. Gabriel Summers, Vulcan, and who knows where he is now? I think he's in space somewhere. Yeah, I think he's in space jail. Because <laughs> that's a thing. Like, that's the other side of the X-Men that's always been interesting. Is like, for some reason, like, back in the day, Professor Xavier made telepathic connection with this 
this giant world or this giant universal policing government called the Shi'ar Empire, and he fell in love with their leader, um, Lalandra, and he like had a relationship with her. But they were living across the universe, um, and for some so because of that, like the X Men have a ton of space battles. Like right. that's where Corsair, the character, comes from. That's where the Brood come from. That's where you know Vulcan, you know Cyclops's forgotten but recently rediscovered brother. You know he shows up and he's like, well, I'm gonna take over the um, the basically all of the universe by taking out the Shi'ar Empire and all their guardians. And there's a whole thing. It's it's crazy. Like, they did this thing where Professor Xavier has this one mental link, and then after that, they're like, well, the X-Men can go to space and just have space battles if we want to. <laughs> um, and that's like a core element of telling X-Men stories is, well, maybe they'll go to space and fight this enemy, because why not? So that brings up my point. So I've read, you know, the Grant Morrison new X-Men run, which I really enjoyed. Um, so I don't have that problem with Cyclops. I kind of was sympathetic for him after reading that. But you just oh, okay. mentioned, Mike, there's a moment in that run where Charles Xavier just like leaves. So like, I, I got to go talk to my ex. I'm going to bounce. And he leaves. Yeah. And that's when yeah. people attack, you know, his the school. And that leads me to my point is that Charles Xavier is actually the worst X-Men character because... <laughs> Send your hate mail to IRCB at destroythesign.org. Uh, no, yeah, I, I totally understand where you're coming from. He's kind of manipulative. You know, he puts all these teenagers uh, in a position where they can easily be attacked, you know, from, from enemies and villains. Yeah. Uh, he's constantly dying and then coming back. <laughs> sure, sure. And part of it is like that, that the thing about the leader uh, who's super smart and in a wheelchair, it's a lot like uh, the leader, I'm sorry, the chief from the Doom Patrol, Niles Calder, and he was a bad right, guy. Right. So it's kind of like this weird analogy where it's like I always see Charles Xavier as kind of being maybe not intentionally the worst. He probably has some good intentions, but he's kind of my least favorite X-Men character. Yeah, I, I can totally understand that. He's an idealist, and that like becomes problematic when you're trying to say like, is he doing the right thing or not? Like, is he trying to find a middle middle ground for people, yeah. or is he just like holding to his ideals to the point where it's damaging? Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to say like, like don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to say that like mutant rights don't matter because they totally do, right? right? When we're talking about this, because Charles Xavier's whole thing is he's kind of like a. You know, he is a Martin Luther King kind of figure. Right. And by no means am I trying to, like, devalue that. But um, like I was saying before, he, he, he always just – he just has these ideals and this dream. But – because that's what everyone holds to is Xavier's dream. That's what everyone quotes all the time. <laughs> it's so fucking stupid. <laughs> um, but he has this dream, you know, that where mutants and humans can live side by side. Yeah. But, like – his his advancement towards that or the effort that he puts towards it when he's you know around because he's been dead for a little while um have always been very like huge they're they're not like making small steps towards things he's always constantly trying to like say we have to do this big huge change or that's the only way that i'm going to do this Mm -hmm. um but i don't know i think there i mean there's a lot to be said about that (laughs) i'm probably not doing it justice um i mean that dynamic the dynamic between him and magneto in the movies is the most i think the most interesting part of those movies clearly and it's it's, well i mean and you've got i mean look at the actors playing these characters right like in both iterations of the x-men yeah yeah so i mean that's an appealing thing i think as someone who's not read a ton of the comics like that's kind of the most appealing story of that whole x-men mess that's going on is sort of the dynamic yeah. between those two um oh yeah you know and they're they're both right and they're both wrong so i think that's an interesting dynamic uh, 
One thing I do find kind of interesting among our discussion and the people that commented on the Goodreads thread, no one said Wolverine was their favorite. Is that just because of overexposure? Or is he a bad X-Man? Well, I, I think someone mentioned that Wolverine used to be their favorite. Okay, yeah. Um, but, like, yeah, like, I think, yeah, Danny, for instance, said, Kitty is currently my favorite, followed by Laura Kinney, a.k.a., oh, she says, the Wolverine, which technically <laughs> Laura Kinney, a.k.a. X-23, is the is Wolverine right, right now. Right, Because there is no Wolverine. But as far as I'm concerned, she is the best Wolverine because <laughs> her book is one of the fucking best oh. X-Men books being published consistently for 30-some issues. That book is amazing. Okay. I'm sad to see it being renumbered, but you know what? I'm, I'm trusting the new team. I'll just say that. I don't care what anyone says. Fuck all those haters out there. <laughs> I trust the new team. And there are legitimate haters out there. We won't even go into it. You right. started to attack my X-Men books? Oh, I'm not going to stand for that. Um, <laughs> these fucking racists out there. Anyways, <laughs> X-23, one of the best. I fucking, I fucking love that character. Okay. Sorry. No sure. one said Wolverine. You're totally right, Paul. Right. Well, yeah, I think same thing. Whereas I was a kid, obviously Wolverine is the most interesting character, but I think it's just overexposure, you know, kind of kills my interest yeah. in him so yeah totally mm-hmm. i know that um there's a lot of jubilee lovers out there like kara yep. said that jubilee was one of her favorites i know xander's in love with jubilee um <laughs> or he loves jubilee not in love but he loves jubilee i mean he might um, be in love who knows hey i don't know i haven't asked him about it yeah um but uh is <laughs> a character Zan. that a lot of people <laughs> like I mean, she, she's one of those people that, uh, you know, she's one of those everyman type of characters mm-hmm. um, where you were supposed to connect them. Like, she was the cool 90s kid that you're like, yeah, I go to the arcade. Yeah, I wear big <laughs> yellow jackets. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah. her power, like, she's so happy-go-lucky. Like, she was the character that you kind of identified because she was younger in this group of adults, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, I don't know. I always had a problem with Jubilee, but then I started reading more X-Men comics. And I've come to find that the more X-Men comics you read, the less you dislike anyone. Like, you just start to like all of these characters, good or bad. Okay. Um, I don't know. And that's, I, I think, still hate Quentin Quire. <gasps> Renee! Cocking little... I, oh, man. See, he... You got to read that Generation X, I though, did. Man, I read he... the first volume, and I was like, you know what? He's funny, but you know what? I still want to know why he's not dead because he's a little a-hole how is he not dead after schism you know so yeah well that's because (laughs) secret wars renee because marvel decided they could do whatever they wanted with secret wars that's why um anyways he walked into an embassy and like made people kill themselves oh well i think they forgot about that i think that they ignored that (laughs) like that that was such a big thing in schism was quentin quire causes this in causes the government to be like yeah let's send sentinels out to utopia and destroy the mutants that live there because of yeah. this one little terrorist 14 year old a-hole well and i mean grant morrison put him alive. in like a tube <laughs> in new x-men and then schism is quentin choir wakes up and he goes and does this thing right that, that was the beginning of that and that's where we got a really cool split between cyclops's team and wolverine's team and they opened the gene gray school for youngsters or whatever um which is the I think that's still the name of the, no, the new mansion that they have. No, they but, changed it to Xavier because that's like one of the okay. first things they say in um, Generation X. And I only know this because okay, I read okay. that last night. <laughs> okay, okay. So, yeah, I mean, honestly, we could go on and on about this. Clearly. This is this is my favorite thing in the entire world <laughs> to talk about. Renee, 
I have some words for you about Quentin Quarry, but I can't talk to you about it until you finish all of Generation X because there is a turning point with that character in Generation X. Christina Strain will forever be like in my heart for what she did for some of those characters in that book. So you got to read all that. Then we can talk about Quentin Quarry. I promise you we'll have the conversation. So, anyways, but let's wrap up this episode. He's such a little a-hole. He's even got, Renee. Like, he's even rich. <laughs> he's snobby. He's omega-level dude who thinks he can do whatever he wants. So he still gets mm-hmm. hurt. Also, I still don't know if he dyes his hair pink or not, or if that's just a thing. <laughs> no one knows. No one. No one knows. Actually, I also, I, I really think. like though, though that he meets that uh, little kid. I forget. I think that's the new Black King from the Hellfire Club, but I could be wrong. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, and he's all—he's like the only part I believe of that is that Quentin Quire would be attracted to himself because he says that <laughs> oh, yeah. he says that Benjamin's his boyfriend, and Benjamin, all nervous, turns into Quentin, and he's like, he's yeah. so yeah. handsome. He's like, that's the only part of that I believed. <laughs> yeah, I, absolutely. I'm telling you, Renee, you got to read the rest of that book. I know it's not all out yet, but when it does come out, you got to read it, and we will have this conversation. The thing is, like, even if I like the situations that happen out of it. I still like all the other people reacting to the douchiness of Quentin Quire <laughs> than actually liking Quentin Quire. He's more troublesome yeah. than he's worth. As well. Yeah, I get you. Well, that's the thing. If you read, see, now we're getting <laughs> into it again. Um, if you just, you got to read Jason Aaron's Wolverine and the X Men run, and and in there you get a lot more character development with Quentin Quire as well. And and that's why I kind of have a little bit of soft spot for what happens in the rest of Generation X. Like those two books tie up a storyline that Jason Aaron started a while ago that I really appreciate. Um, but anyways, we're gonna wrap, Renee. We're gonna wrap up this episode. Um, Forgive me <laughs> for wanting to talk about X Men. <laughs> Renee, believe me, I could do this all day. I'm just looking at the time on my computer screen, and we're running out of tape. I know. So I need, I need to just visit you in New York, and then we'll just have a weekend of talking of X Men. Perfect. Absolutely. You, you, abs- yes, that's happening. Um, so right, when's your birthday? Follow us all That'll on Twitter. <laughs> Follow us all on Twitter. You can find Paul on Twitter at OhiPauly. You can find Renee on Twitter at Rodriguer29. You can find me on Twitter at Mike Rappin, and you can follow the show at IRCB Podcast. We retweet stuff all day. We post some really cool stuff from creators and people that use whose work you should know about. And we also post polls every Friday-ish. This week's poll was who has the best cape. I, there's a lot of cape <laughs> options out there. Listen, I picked the four that I thought were the coolest. So go vote on that. Check out our Goodreads group. We have weekly threads. This week's thread was pitch your favorite comic book in two sentences, which sounds really impossible, but who knows? Uh, make sure you can check us out at rcbpodcast.com. Uh, if you're listening to the show, please take a second to rate and subscribe. Write a little review on whatever podcast platform you're using. You can also send us uh, emails at ircb at destroythesive.org. Anything's open, questions, comments, feedback. I'm looking for a good vegetarian uh, sloppy joe recipe. So if you got one, send it our way. <laughs> Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all the music for the show. We appreciate every second of music they allow us to use. Xander super cool guy super cool wizard also edits the show he's fantastic so thank you and until next time may thor watch over you thanks for listening figured out how to end the show wouldn't it wouldn't it make more sense for odin's ravens to watch over you 
Right. Yes, yeah. probably, yeah. But you know what? Let's let's have someone... I want some hate mail. I want people to send me hate mail and say, wouldn't it make more sense <laughs> for <laughs> Thor? Like, what does Thor even do? Is Thor even Thor right now? I'm pretty sure a dying Jane Foster is I'm Thor. pretty sure that it's a woman right now. I'm pretty sure that the Odin gun isn't worthy to watch over you right now. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. That's okay, weird. let's uh <laughs> Renee. Thank you. You're welcome.